0: Okay, our first reading, Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast." I'll invite you to turn with me to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Page 832, if you're making use of the Bible that's on or near your seat. We're going to begin reading with verse 17 and read through verse 29. Page 832. Matthew 26. Verses 17 through 29. Now, on the first day of unlimited bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? Jesus said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes out as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. "'Judas, who would betray Him, answered, "'Is it I, Rabbi?' "'Jesus said to him, "'You have said so.' "'Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, "'and after blessing it, broke it, "'and gave it to the disciples, and said, "'Take, eat, this is My body.' "'And He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, "'He gave it to them, saying, "'Drink of it, all of you, "'for this is My blood of the covenant, "'which is poured out for many "'for the forgiveness of sins. "'I tell you, I will not drink of it again.' I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. May God add his blessing to uh, this reading of his word. Last week we began a short series on the sacraments. um, Sacraments being baptism and the Lord's Supper. And it was our goal, uh, as you've heard me say many times before, is a goal just to get the first coat of paint on. Uh, I remember a professor that I had at uh, Geneva College uh, and then later at uh, RPTS, uh, he used to talk about learning, uh, that we learn in layers. Uh, that has always stuck with me. It is so true. We learn a little bit at a time and we learn in, in layers. And uh, uh, I, I like to think as a, as a teacher that uh, teaching is kind of like painting a wall. We, uh, we don't want to try to cover the whole wall at once. We just want to get a, a coat of paint on. Um, and then we can come back a little bit later and put another coat of paint on. And last week, that was what we were trying to do was to get a coat of paint on. We shared a lot of things last week. And I was a little bit concerned that maybe we, we looked at too much, but I've heard from so many of you that that was not the case. I think for the most part, everybody was uh, pretty blessed. Uh, so that, that's great. We got more. We're going to try to put another coat of paint on uh, this morning. So let's just take a quick review of what we looked at last week. We we remember what Paul says to the Romans in chapter 4 of the great letter uh, to the Romans where he's developing what we call the doctrine of justification uh, by faith, that doctrine where uh, we who are sinful can be made righteous uh, by trusting in Jesus. Uh, what a tremendous truth that is—that uh, we can be washed of our sins and cleansed, uh, made righteous, uh, by trusting in the performance of another person, namely the performance of Christ. And uh, Paul says some things concerning Abraham that are instructive to us in terms of the sacraments. He says that that Abraham received the sign. Notice the word "sign" of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now, these are instructive for us, namely the two words sign and seal. That's instructive as we're trying to understand what the sacraments are. The sacraments are signs and seals uh, of the covenant of grace. Uh, When God makes covenants, and by the way, that's the way God always deals with us. You you read through the Bible, you're going to come across the word covenant a lot. Uh, That's how God always deals with us is in terms of uh, the covenants. God makes a covenant uh, of grace, and He provides signs to accompany this covenant. Last week we looked at the covenant of grace that was made with Abraham in Genesis 15, and then we looked at chapter 17. Uh, where God gave Abraham the sign of circumcision that accompanied that covenant. And God said to Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 11, He said, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a what? A sign. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, we might start adding to the the wall, if you will. Let's put the brush down in the paint and let's start. Uh, Let's add to that. Uh, the first thing I th- think I'd like to add to uh, our instruction on the sacraments is, is here. We see uh, in Genesis 17 who is it that initiates the sacrament? Is it the church? Is it Abraham? No, it's God, isn't it? We always remember that. God institutes these sacraments, God makes the covenant, God gives the covenant sign. God establishes the covenant. It's God who establishes this covenant with Abraham. And next week, when we look at baptism, we're going to see that Christ will replace that, that covenant of that sign, that sacrifice, that sac, uh, uh, sacrament of circumcision. Try to get that out of your mouth real fast. The sacrament of circumcision. He he replaces that with baptism. We'll see that next week. But uh, this morning, our focus is going to be on the, the Lord's Supper. And as we study the Lord's Supper, uh, it requires us to study the Passover. And that's why uh, I directed you towards uh, Exodus 12 to start with. Uh, and when we begin to study the Passover, we see that uh, the Passover is also instituted uh, by God. And the book of Exodus records for us this powerful deliverance of Israel from Egypt. If you're familiar with the story uh, You know, Israel comes, uh, uh, migrates to uh, Egypt to escape a famine. Uh, We learn this in Genesis. And things go quite well for them because God had providentially placed Joseph uh, in a very high place in Egypt. Uh, So as they come down into Egypt, their initial stay is quite welcome. But as Joseph uh, passes away and as the leadership who knew Joseph, passes away, Israel begins to fall increasingly and gradually into a state of abject slavery, uh, which brings us to our call to worship uh, this morning. Some 400 years goes by, and things are terrible. And uh, Israel cries out to God in the midst of of this tyranny. And God hears them. And he delivers them. And if you're familiar with Exodus, you know the, about the plagues. How does God deliver uh, Israel? Does, does he send Moses to Pharaoh and ask Pharaoh to let the people go? Does, does Pharaoh just simply say, well, you know, I've been meaning to do that. Um, that sounds like a good idea. We've gotten enough work out of these boys. I suppose we'll, it's time we let them go. Is that how it goes? My heavens, no, that's not how it goes. It's quite a struggle, isn't there? Ten plagues are uh, put upon the land of Egypt. And the tenth and final plague involves the angel of destruction. And uh, to avoid uh, certain judgment at the hands of the angel of destruction, God tells Israel to take a lamb without blemish and slaughter it at midnight And then they were to take some of the blood of that lamb and put it on their doorpost. If you'll turn to Exodus 12 with me again, use your bulletin as your bookmarker. We're going to go back and forth. I'll try to keep that as minimal as possible. But I'd like you to look at uh, three verses from Exodus 12 with me. Two to start with, namely verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, we read that God promises Israel that He will pass through the land of Egypt that night and that He will strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all of the gods, with a lowercase g, all of the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And notice verse 13, the blood shall be a what? The blood shall be a sign, a sign for you, on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, uh, here we're going to see a separation takes place. Uh, the instructions are given. Now, who's going to follow these instructions? It's going to be everybody that believes this is the way it's going to be, isn't it? Uh, so you, you can be rest assured that the faithful, uh, they went and hunted down a, a lamb without blemish and they got busy. Uh, they slaughtered that lamb and, and they followed these instructions just as they, were, as they were supposed to. And of course, those who, who, who didn't believe uh, probably uh, did what they would normally do any other night. Yeah. Oh, so when the angel of destruction came upon the house of the faithful, he saw the blood on the door. And he he passed over the house. Thus, we get the name Passover. He passes over. Now, uh, I want to think this through for a moment. In the context of what we looked at last week, I want to start connecting some dots here. Last week, we looked at God's covenant with Abraham uh, in Genesis 15. And, uh, you know, we saw that God had promised to make Abraham into a... Uh, a great nation Uh, Abraham's approximately 75 years old when he's called Uh, a number of years go by and uh, Abraham is uh, undoubtedly wondering okay I'm supposed to be a great nation that means I'm going to have to start having children here sometime Uh, God in Genesis 12 you told me I was going to be I was going to be fruitful and now it's Genesis 15 and I still don't have uh, any children Uh, Lord um, a number of chapters have gone by. How's this going to work? In Genesis fifteen two, Abraham comes out and says, "Oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless." Now we can understand where Abraham's coming from, can't we? He's not getting any younger. And God instructs Abraham to bring a heifer, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. This wouldn't have been strange to Abraham. This is strange to us. This wouldn't have been strange to us if we lived in that day. We'd have known what God is up to. He's going to cut a covenant with Abraham. We looked at that last week. What's Abraham do? He brings the animals, slaughters them. He cuts them in, in half. He sets the pieces aside. What's that all about? Well, that was common in the ancient Near East when parties came together to make a solemn promise with one another. They would do this. They would cut these animals in half. They'd lay the pieces on either side and then they would pass between the pieces basically saying, listen, if I don't make good on my promise, if I don't keep up my end, then I shall be like these pieces. See, this is a pretty solemn promise, isn't it? Would Anybody be interested in making a kind of promise like that with anyone? You know, it was commonly done only for uh, solemn uh, promises. Now, what does God do? He instructs Abraham to get everything prepared. And then, what does God do? Well, God appears in, this, uh, v- uh, in this, this miraculous way, if you will, and he passes between the pieces in such a way that Abraham knows it's God who's passing between these, these pieces. What is God saying? Well, let's think about the context. What is Abraham saying? Lord, how am I, how am I to know here that this is going to happen? What, what will you give me here? Give me something here. Okay, I'll cut a covenant with you, Abraham. Here's how you can know. You see these animals? If I don't make good on this promise, then I'll be like these animals. God cuts a covenant with Abraham. Now, what does God say to Abraham before he passes between the animals? In Genesis fifteen, thirteen and fourteen, God says know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, they will be afflicted for four hundred years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. This is hundreds of years earlier. Before the time of our reading in Exodus. And where is Israel? They're exactly where God said they would be. They're sojourners in a land that's not theirs. They're in Egypt. They're afflicted for four centuries. Just like God said they would be. And God promises that he will deliver them. And God delivers them. And he also said that they would come out with great possessions. And if you know the story, uh, after this tenth and final plague, the Egyptians are ready to be done with Israel, aren't they? I mean, imagine getting in your jewelry boxes, uh, ladies, getting, in all your, getting all your favorite jewelry out, and just handing it to, uh, to the, the slave population of the land and saying, hightail it out of here. That's exactly what happens. Uh, they march out of there with... With all kinds of silver and all kinds of gold. Now, let's stop right here and let's just make some application. We see two things here. There's many more than two, but let's focus on two. One, we see God's faithfulness. Think of Abraham's question. God, what will you give me? I mean, how can I know? How can I know? What will you give me? Well, we see the faithfulness of God. God says how this thing's going to go, doesn't he? He tells Abraham how this is going to go. Guess what? It goes exactly like God said it would. God is faithful. When he makes promises, he keeps them. And he has given us these stories so that we can look at how God has handled himself in the past so that we can drink deeply from the faithfulness of God. And then we can, with that, know that that's how God will handle Himself in the future. So when we're in times of doubt, or we're in times of crisis, we can look at these stories and we say, look, God's always been faithful to His promises. But the second thing that we see here is God is also sovereign. And that is so very important because when God makes promises, He's able to carry them out. We may sort around and find someone who is Faithful, almost, almost to a fault, we might find someone who is faithful, uh, but uh, not powerful. You see, faithfulness by itself is not enough. You have to be powerful, too, to be able to bring these promises to uh, their fruition, don't you? And we see that God is not only faithful to bring these things through, He's also powerful and able to to bring these things through. Now, God delivers Israel from Egypt just as He had promised to do. And in commemoration of this event, God institutes the sacrament of the Passover. Uh, You're still in Exodus 12. Uh, You stopped at verse 13. Look at verse 14 with me. God tells Israel, This day shall be a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord, Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Now, what's going on here? God's instituting a sacrament, isn't He? Covenantal sign. Again, the church doesn't do this, Moses isn't doing this, God is doing this. Now, there's something that's really important for us to see. Notice Israel was to celebrate the Passover as a memorial. See the word memorial in verse 14. Uh, verse uh, when we think of a memorial in our present culture, we have a tendency to think of a past event. Uh, uh, we might recall uh, certain places, certain people, certain things. And there actually is a view of the sacraments that's sometimes called a memorial view. And uh, uh, that according to that view, they see that the sacraments are simply uh, something that we do uh, in remembrance of what Jesus has done. Um, and of course, we wouldn't want to disagree with that. Of course, uh, the sacraments we do, Jesus, he comes right out and says, Do this in remembrance of me, right? But there's a lot more going on than simply a bare memorial uh, in, uh, in this sense. The biblical testimony is much richer than that. Uh, the biblical testimony is, is a remembrance that participates. We need to think of the word participation and try to, 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 to pour participation into remembrance and stir that up a little bit. Um, as uh, the Israelites come together to observe the Passover, Uh, in the biblical sense of keeping this memorial going, uh, they're, in a sense, participating in the deliverance that God has uh, given to them uh, from Egypt. And we can think down the line as the first generation, those who actually marched out of Egypt as they passed away, and the next generation came, and then the the next generation came, and the next generation came, as they observed the Passover, they participated in that deliverance. What do we mean by participating? Well, just to start, we're just trying to get another code on the wall here. Just to start, we could think that they're resting in the deliverance. They're resting in the deliverance. They're resting in a past deliverance, the deliverance out of Egypt, which is emblematic of our deliverance from sin, that's a sermon for another day, but I, I add that there. Uh, they're participating in a, fast, in, in, in a past deliverance. But they also come to observe the sacrament. They participate in a present deliverance. And there's a third sense where we participate. We participate in the, the hope and anticipation of a future deliverance. You see what I'm talking about? Past deliverance. Present deliverance, future deliverance. Does it make sense? So they're participating. Now, with all of this in mind, let's take a look at Matthew. If you turn to Matthew 26, and the actual institution of the Lord's Supper doesn't happen in Matthew's gospel until, I, uh, until verse 26. I want you to, uh, to look with me at verse 17. Matthew 26, verse 17. Uh, Because I I, I include these verses because I want you to see that the Lord's Supper is taking place in the context of the Passover. That's why I've spent so much time developing the Passover. We really have to start with the Passover. Um, Look with me to verse 17. Matthew tells us on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying what? Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? Notice the question they're asking. Okay, Lord, where, where are we going to eat the Passover? Okay, the Passover is a meal. We want to hold on to that. When In the ancient Near East, when covenants were made, there was usually a dinner, there was a meal. Uh, we need to understand that the Passover was a meal. Uh, so Jesus gives them instructions to answer their question on how, how they're, where they're to go, where they're to make these provisions. They make these provisions and... And then down in verse 26, they're already uh, at the place that's been uh, set aside uh, to observe this Passover meal. And in verse 26, we're told that as they're eating, uh, we uh, we see some very familiar words. Jesus takes the bread and uh, afterwards he breaks it. And then he gives it to the disciples and he says, take, eat, this is my body. Familiar words, huh? Verse 27, he takes the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, make no mistake about it. This is a tremendously significant event that's taking place right here. Try to put yourself in the shoes of the Hebrew people. For approximately 1,500 years, you've observed the Passover. That's what you do. You observe the Passover. That's what we do. And here, a change is being made, isn't it? The observance of the Passover is going to give way to the observance of the Lord's Supper. Who institutes that change? Christ does the disciples institute that change? Does the church institute that change? Christ institutes that change. Almighty God institutes this change. Now, let's start putting all of this together. Christ is instituting the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to replace the Passover. What are the signs? What are the signs? The bread and the wine are the signs, right? That's the signs. The sacrament is more than a memorial, it's more than the remembrance of facts of an event that took place 2,000 years ago. Who is the Lamb? Who's the Lamb? Have you thought about that? Christ is the Lamb. Isn't that amazing? Whose blood's going on the doorpost? Christ's? And when we come to the table, we do more than remember. We participate. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, he says that the cup of blessing that we bless, you hear that? The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation In the body of Christ. When we come to the table, we do more than remember, we participate in the deliverance that God has given us in Christ Jesus. We think back, past deliverance. We can look back into the Old Testament. We can see how Israel was delivered out of Egypt. We can see the emblems there. In the same way, in Christ Jesus, we're delivered out of the taskmaster of Satan himself, of whom Pharaoh is emblematic. So we look at past deliverances. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, you've been delivered from none other than the devil himself. But as we come to the table, we participate in present. Present deliverance as well. And while we're connecting things, What does this point to? Jesus tells us in verse 29, if you look at verse 29, Matthew 26, 29, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you. Where? In my Father's kingdom. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about a supper that's going to take place in heaven. We call it the wedding supper. It's something that hasn't taken place yet. But it is so certain that it will take place that we can, in a sense, enjoy it now as we participate in this sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And here's something that is absolutely incredible. As we do this, we not only participate with one another, we participate with the saints who have gone before us, and we participate with the holy angels that are in heaven who are all waiting for that day to take place. In a sense, as we come to the table, Christ, by way of His Holy Spirit, takes us and transports us into the heavenly of heavenlies. And we can think of Abraham. Lord, what will you give me so that I know that these things can take place? I want you to go get a couple of animals for me. Abraham, you know what to do with them. Okay, now I see that you've got them already. You've got the halves cut Okay, Abraham, I'll show you how you can know. I will pass between those pieces. That's how you can know. And here's a sign for you, Abraham. Here's circumcision. Well, guess what, loved ones? That same thing is true as we come to this table this morning. How can we know that God will make good on these promises. That is precisely why He has given us these things. To meet us in the weakness of our flesh, to meet us in the weakness of our faith, to meet us in times where we struggle and where we stumble. How can we know? There's a sign. There's a seal. We participate in past deliverances. Whatever you're going through this morning... We can participate in a present deliverance. And we look forward to the Lamb's Supper, don't we? The marriage supper of the Lamb. And let's be reminded here we're not coming to an altar. Sometimes people refer to this as an altar. This is not an altar. We're not coming to an altar, we're coming to a table. An altar is where sacrifices are made. We're not making a sacrifice. The sacrifice has been made. Hebrews makes that abundantly clear. Hebrews chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 10. Christ dies on the altar. Where is the altar? The altar is the cross. He dies once for all for the sins of his people. He says it is finished, it is accomplished. Amen? We're coming to a table. I'm so happy that we're coming to a table. Tables are wonderful. What do we do at the table? We eat and have fellowship with one another, don't we? Tammy and I have guests today coming. We're so looking forward to it. What are we going to do? We're going to sit at the table and we're going to eat with them. Yesterday, Tammy and I rode up to Panera's Bread to see her cousin who just lost her father. A funeral that we were at last Tuesday, a couple Tuesdays ago, I don't remember which now. And we went up to see her. Where did we go to meet her? At a table in Borgman. We sat there for three hours. It's wonderful, isn't it? Loved ones, Jesus is inviting us to a table, a table where he will be present. He would be present in a sense, but remember what he says. There's a sense where he is present at this table, but there's also a sense where he is absent from this table. He said, I'm not going to drink this again with you until when? Until that day in my Father's kingdom. This isn't complete. We're looking forward to, uh, uh, to take Jesus up on an invitation. Uh, The the gospel calls an invitation to a a festivity, a celebration, a supper. Jesus is inviting us over for dinner. Do you want to come? I know I do. Let me review here because I'm throwing a lot at you. But Judging by your facial expressions, you're, you're getting it, aren't you? Let's do a quick review. The sacraments are signs and seals of the covenant of grace. They're instituted by God. They're a participation in God's deliverance of past, present, and future uh, deliverances. It's a covenantal meal. It seals the promises of the Christ, uh, Christ's deliverance of our souls, and it's a table. It's not an altar. Christ's death on the, on the cross accomplishes our salvation. And may we drink deeply of these great truths. Heavenly Father, Lord, what do we say in response to such things as this, Lord? Uh, we so deeply thank you uh, for these, these wonderful truths that we have here, Lord. And we ask for your grace as we, as we attempt to process these things, Lord. And in a lifetime, we, we cannot fully process these things. But uh, I pray, O oh Lord, for myself and everyone in this room, that, Lord, you would give us grace to process these things, that uh, we would come to understand them ever more fully and ever more deeply, that we could drink from these things, that our faith could be strengthened and that uh, the joy of heaven could be imparted into our souls. So, Lord, to these ends we pray in, in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Before we come to the the table this morning, I would like to, uh, for us to take our, the Bible that's on or near your seat and open to Selection 17, which you'll find on page 1053 of that Bible, and it is a, uh, a selected reading from Psalm 51, which is a great psalm of repentance. And before we come to the Lord's table, we should Uh, corporately repent and confess our sins to one another and not necessarily to one another but to the Lord. You know what I meant there.